Drive Time with Travis Wingfield begins now. Let me check your pulse if you're not fired up. What is up, golf fans, and welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network, covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and on today's show, time to turn the page post-haste. At long last, it is Jets Week. The preview show moves up a day for us here. We'll tell you about the critical matchups, a not-so-brief Jets introduction, storylines that pop, and keys to the game from the Baptist Health Studios inside the Baptist Health Training Complex. This is the Drive Time Podcast. Jets Week. We talked about this on the post-game show with Seth and OJ. Fans of this team don't like the Patriots, Bills, and Jets, and if you're an old-timer or approaching old-timer like I am, then you also include the Indianapolis Colts in that equation. But as we previewed the Jets game, I told the fellas, there's just something about the Jets that takes my hatred for that team to a different stratosphere. For me, I think it really went back to the Rex Ryan years, went to 12 on the 1 to 10 scale. I thought they talked more than any team that hadn't accomplished anything than anybody else ever in National Football League history. I thought, I think now, social media probably carries that torch these days because especially this offseason when the discourse among national pundits that the entire cognoscenti chose the Jets over the Dolphins and their AFC wildcard picks for the most part. Everybody had Buffalo winning the AFC East. But then the Jets fans on Twitter talking about the Dolphins like they were also Rams just did not sit well with me because now as we move on here and the Dolphins have dealt with their injuries and they lost Aaron Rodgers, but the rest of that roster has not carried their team the way you would think a good football team would, right? So it always stuck in my craw that way. And right now, they're reeling. Joke's on them. But also, the game's on national TV on a game that most people are going to watch as they're coming back from their shopping sprees and setting in for another round of Turkey Sandies and firing up their prime accounts to watch some professional football. Who cares about some of these college games? You want to watch pro football. Every week, I want to blow a team out. But the smile that will be ingrained on my stupid face for the next nine days, if we go up there and win a game 34-6, to have you guys seen the horror film Smile? I think it's a 2022 vehicle, perhaps 2021. You know, it's basically the premise is a demon possesses your body and then you smile at people and that's how they kill you or something. I don't know. Uh, But that would be me. I would be on the cover of the movie Smile and it would actually probably go beyond the Commander's game provided we win that game because I just love beating this team. I want that blowout to avenge Bart Scott saying we're going to put hot sauce on Reggie Bush and then actually trying to injure him in that game. Instead of Al Michaels saying, it's Jumbo Elliott, I want to hear, he's got Hill. I want to remake taking their quarterback and Chad Pennington going into their building and putting a bow on Brett Favre's one and done with the jest. So many great memories from this rivalry. Bye-bye, Ricky. Bye-bye, Streak. But I think this spotlight game in a season that I think is going to be very special, I think this could be one of our favorite footnotes in the Dolphins and Jets rivalry. Let's go ahead and meet these guys real quick. And we always start at the quarterback position where it just didn't pan out for this team in any sense. And in fact, it derailed their entire season. But I do want to make the point that the offense had plenty of issues outside of the quarterback position. In fact, somebody on Twitter wrote back to me and said that they think the offensive line is the bigger culprit for this Jets failure on offense. And I agree with the premise that the injuries and their production has been awful. But when I tell you 
going back to BYU, going back to cool pro day throws, Zach Wilson has never beat a team from the pocket in college, high school, in pros. And the retreating against rushers that are faster than you are, with cover guys that are faster than you are, it's not going to work. And it didn't work. It was I, I never had more conviction on a negative draft grade on a player than this guy, especially after watching him last season. And for the Jets to bring him back as the backup guy and then to not make a move to go get somebody in four plays into your season when you lose Aaron Rodgers, thanks, you know? <laughs> I mean, you gave the keys to the franchise to a narcissistic egomaniac quarterback who makes all the decisions for you. And I'm sure you guys have seen, you know, ghost of Adam Gaze on Twitter, my buddy, right? I don't even know his real name, but that's, that's my, that's my guy. Uh, he posted a theory about Aaron Rodgers. He got that from me. We were having a conversation in DMS. That's my theory. If you watched hard knocks in the summer edition, you saw how Rodgers is the owner, the GM, the head coach and the quarterback of that team, right? There was a a moment on the sideline where Rodgers had the headset on, Salah did too, and Salah said something kind of lightheartedly, and Rodgers like disagreed, and Salah immediately changed his position to agree with his quarterback because Aaron Rodgers surrounds himself in his entire life with yes men. Why do you think they didn't get a quarterback after Rodgers got injured? Why do you think they would do that? Brian Windhorse, why would they do that? Well, we couldn't have a new guy come in and spark the team and lead them to the postseason, right? Because if that happens... And it takes Aaron Rodgers two or three games next September to get back to being, you know, the former version of himself. Then you're going to have Jets fans who are not hesitating at all to boo Rodgers off the field and call for Josh Dobbs or not Joe Flacco, but you get the point, right? And that's something that his vanity would just simply not allow for. So really, like Favre, giving us Pennington was the best thing that happened to this franchise in the eight years post the Marino retirement. Rodgers going to the Jets is maybe the next best thing the Jets have done for us because it caused them to sink another year of an elite defense. And if you got time, go ahead and check out how often elite defenses in today's NFL, even in the this century, sustained their production over the course of three years. You're lucky to get two, very lucky to get two top-notch defensive performances in back-to-back years. You almost never get three unless you're talking about like Baltimore 2000, but even that was a different era. Tampa Bay 2002, that's also a different era. Seattle and the aughts, that's about the closest you get to that. And the Niners are pretty good right now, but defense is hard to sustain, right? My friends that listen to the show can confirm this. I've been saying it since... Well, I'm not sure when exactly, but anyone that had eyeballs, that's most of you, and a baseline level of football knowledge, that's a a minority of football watchers, right? On this podcast, though, that's not you because you listen to this podcast because you know ball, but casual watchers don't have that, right? But if you had those two things, you knew, you knew, it was so obvious, you knew that Zach Wilson was not capable of leading an NFL offense. It was so obvious. That's why, like, these Jets debates on Twitter about whose fault it is blow my mind because, yeah, the offensive line is bad. Yeah, Rodgers' personal wide receiving room is not that great. Yeah, the running backs, uh, Dalvin Cook was slow last year. Surprise, surprise, he's slow this year. They had those debates, and I'm thinking to myself, all those are true, but it doesn't take a PhD to figure out what the true issue here is in this offense. It's honestly a perfect litmus test for who has a clue with football and who does not, because people that think that a no look pass here and there, or a cool, you know, frozen rope shot from the far hash, they think that that is the talent. The talent that wins is 
understanding coverage and how to play with pace and rhythm and attacking those coverages with concepts that you understand from your own offense. That's winning quarterback play. And he has never once, not one time, shown a proclivity to do that. And you guys know what happens to a team with a top five defense and a bottom five offense. You lived it for years. Maybe not quite those extremes in terms of top and bottom five, but you've seen Dolphins teams that had really good defense and really bad offense. And what happens annually to those teams? The defense wears down. I said it was coming for this Jets team. I hoped it would happen before this game, and it happened the game before this game, Sunday in Buffalo. Effort was down. The levy broke. These guys, they, they kind of quit on that game. You could see Sauce Gardner jogging after a catch that he allowed for 81 yards to the house, like kind of like Bake did on the, the uh, Christian Wilkins play on Sunday. They mailed it in. You think they want to get up on a short week against a vastly superior team? I promise you there's a handful of players that will go into that game, play in that game, just hoping to get back to their families on Friday night. So that's my diatribe. The current status of the Jets story really starts in week 15 of 2020, an 0-13 outfit on the fast track to pick first in a draft class that had Trevor Lawrence, the golden boy, right? The Jets have the ball at their own 37-yard line with 3.54 to play, nursing a 23-20 lead over the Los Angeles Rams. They go gore for three, gore for eight, first down. Gore for four, gore for no gain, third and six. Dump off to Frank Gore, breaks two tackles, and gets to the first down marker. They go into victory formation. They won the next week as well, but they already had taken themselves off the first pick of the draft with that victory. And that game right there is the difference between pick number one and pick number two and Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson. <laughs> Lucky, right, Dolphins fans? I also had Justin Fields comfortably as my number two quarterback, and I believe that if they built an infrastructure offensively that he could work within, you know, Matt, maybe it's even Matt LaFleur, I don't know. I think that he would have been a perfect complement, his skill and his style, to that team. You have a running quarterback with a good defense and a good running back, like, Lamar Jackson, Russell Wilson, like it's that's happened for a lot of successful teams. I think we'd be in real trouble, not in trouble, but we would have a real fight for the division on our hands right now if Justin Fields was a quarterback of the New York Jets. But they chose Zach Wilson, and now he's QB3 after they stayed with him for 10 games. 10! What were you doing? And a 4-6 and six mark. They won four of those games. Hell, they beat the Eagles. How? I got no friggin' clue, man. I mean, I watched the game, I saw it, but like, I, I would take the Eagles 99 times out of 100 in that situation, but thanks in large part to a very good defense, right? Offensively, historic levels of bad, bro. 22.9% third down conversion rate would be the lowest in the history, history of the National Football League if it ends that way, and it probably is going to because guess what? Tim Boyle's not any better, bro. <laughs> However, the draft capital they accumulated through some great trades, Jamal Adams. What you doing, Seahawks? What you doing? helped them have one of the best draft classes we've ever seen. Sauce Gardner, Garrett Wilson, Jermaine Johnson, and Brees Hall, all from 2022, is right up there with Jalen Waddell, Jalen Phillips, and Javon Holland. They built a top-flight defense using a combination of the draft and free agency, like in free agency, DJ Reed, CJ Mosley, Quincy Williams, 
And then in the draft with Michael Carter, Bryce Huff, Michael Carter the second, not the running back they cut. Uh, Quentin Williams, one of the best in the league. John Franklin Myers in the draft. All those guys have been fantastic for them. It's just been the complete opposite on offense. And I have very little doubt that Makai Becton would be a Pro Bowl caliber player if his health did not betray him annually. Just got carted off versus Buffalo, but luckily for him, and I'm rooting for the kid, uh, just won the two weeks for his injury. So he'll miss this game, but he'll be back this year for the Jets, hopefully. They signed Lake and Thomas into a big deal. And outside of that San Francisco system, it's been a disaster. Like, it's at least he's available, I guess, but it's not been good. I think this year's second-round pick, Joe Tipman, is going to be a beast. He's very athletic center on the pivot. Uh, Vera Tucker's a great player, but he's also in his second straight year of season-ending IR. But then it's been a lot of patchwork. They signed Dwayne Brown, who's a million years old, who's had his own health issues. They brought in Billy Turner, who's been in 14 camps since last year, it seems like. Dennis Kelly was uh, in-season free agent signing as well. They signed Dalvin Cook to pair with Brees Hall. He averages 3.3 yards per carry and the lowest uh, yards above expected in next-gen stats in the NFL. I think it just shows you how difficult it is to execute the rebuild, even when you have all the resources. And look, Rodgers returns next year. Maybe they have better injury luck. Maybe he brings over another buddy of his, and this time it's actually a good player in Devontae Adams. Who knows? My point is a couple of bad breaks can set the whole thing off course. And it happened for the Jets. And now they're going to rely on a 40-year-old quarterback coming off an Achilles surgery to lead them back to the promised land next year with a pick in the middle of the first round, most likely. We'll see. We'll see. But I love it. I absolutely love it because I dislike this team nearly as much as I love my Miami Dolphins. To put a bow on the Jets' introduction here before we get to storylines, it's a good thing that Joe Douglas had that 2022 class, right? Because 2021... Zach Wilson, to me, is the biggest bust in NFL history. With all you had on the line right there and the quarterbacks you had available to you, he is right next to Marcus Russell, and I'm taking him because at least Russell, you know what, never mind. It's very close, but I'm taking Wilson as the bigger bust. Uh, Vera Tucker, second straight year on season-ending IR. That's, That's just bad luck. Elijah Moore, they traded him away for pennies. Michael Carter, you cut him for what? I don't know. Dalvin Cook, maybe? That's weird. Uh, he did find Michael Carter the second, their slot cornerback, who's very good in this draft. So that was the one saving grace there. But 2020, Makai Becton hasn't finished a season yet, and this year he, he might if he comes back. I wrote that down before I saw the news on him. Uh, Marvin Mims, he got cut pretty quickly. Ashton Davis is the fourth safety on the roster, but I loved his game, so I will not talk badly about that because I was wrong too. Jabari Zaninga, remember he had like a crazy bad workout or something like that and he dropped all the way to the third round. They still drafted him and he got cut like the next year, the next season. And then with five day three picks, only one is still around their cornerback four, Bryce Hall. So yeah, that's what bad drafting looks like for all you weirdo Greer haters out there. Let's go ahead and get to the storylines for this game. First ever Black Friday game, and I keep hearing people ask, has anybody played on Friday before? Yeah, it's happened a lot, actually. In fact, Dolphins fans, you should know this, 2005, and I'm weird, I remember these dates like Mike McDaniel does, 2005, there was a hurricane in town, and they pushed the game up to Friday night, and I'll never forget, following the game on my, like, flip, one of those, like, flip phones on the little Dots game cast against the Kansas City Chiefs. Ronnie Brown had like a 65-yard touchdown run, but we lost by like two touchdowns. It was a bad game. But it's not the first ever Black Friday, or not the, it's the first ever Black Friday game. It's not the first Friday game. But short week on the road is always going to be a test. That's the biggest obstacle, I think, this week. You're most likely just walking through. They'll have one practice this week. Coaching matters even more in these games. So big test for McDaniel, Fangio, and the entire staff. I am curious to see what the environment's like. I know what it will look like if they were 6-4. and four. It would be tough. But these last two losses, the quarterback change, a holiday, I wonder 
what the crowd noise situation is going to be like up there. In fact, let's go ahead and check out the weather report. I think it's supposed to be like 45 degrees. Sorry, I'm doing this live, guys. My apologies. East Rutherford on Thursday. Oh, nice. The, the rain subsides by Thursday. But yeah, it's 42 low, 52 high. So yeah, right around 45 degrees. It's, that's a little chilly, but they'll be all right. Um, next storyline, Tua versus the Jets. He's only 2-0 in his career against the Jets. Didn't play him last year. Missed both games with injuries. Didn't play him in 2020 because he was not the starter in the Fitzpatrick first game. And the second game, Flores held him out, even though he could play, uh, to start Ryan Fitzpatrick. And we won that game 20 to nothing, 23 nothing. I forget. Um, but anyway, so he's two years of his career did not play a game against a division rival. So he's 2-0. and It was a sweep in 2021. And I thought his best game that year, Panther game was pretty good, but I thought the way he, can, you know, he contorted himself against the Jets uh, in that road game was really impressive. So two against the Jets, you, you beat Skylar Thompson last year and you lost to him at the end of the year. So you're playing a, a, a real QB1 this week, Jets. Uh, State of the Jets, man. Players only meeting last week. J.J. Watt came out and said after the Buffalo players only meeting that you might as well start making your vacation plans because it's over once you do that. Then they have that showing on Sunday that would really challenge your team medal, I would have to think. I'm curious to see how they try to overcome that. I'm curious how the defense responds. It got bad late in that game, man. That long touchdown lacked effort and pursuit after the ball carrier. We've seen it happen when great defenses wear down after being asked to consistently go out there after offensive three and out, offensive three and out over and over. Go get more stops. It is challenging. It wears you down. They held up as one of the top defenses in the NFL through the first nine games, then the levy snapped, right? I am very, very, very curious to see what the Jets look like in this game. I'm inclined to think it will be bad. I think their performance here will dictate what this team is in the final seven games and ultimately decide if Robert Salah gets another year. I think Joe Douglas already has a very tough uphill battle to come back next year. Too many bad drafts, too much Aaron Rodgers GMing going on there to survive that. But I think the Jets could be in one of these states of total catatonia in this game. On the road again, final final note here. We've only played three road games since week two, and we lost them all, damn it. I would argue that they are the three toughest teams or venues to play against and in. The Bills, I'm still convinced that, that was the best single performance in a game this year by any team in the NFL. And then at Eagles and then at Germany in a crowd of mostly Chiefs fans, those are tough asks. You won convincingly in your week two road game. Week one was back and forth, and that was a different game because our defense wasn't what it is right now, but we had the explosive offense. But 2-0 on the road, can we get back in the win column there? And I would love to see a clean operation, no wasted timeouts, no false starts, no pre-snap stuff. Just be clean on the road and you should have success in this game. Let's go ahead and take our first break right there and come back on the other side and talk Dolphins offense versus Jets defense. That's next Drive Time Podcast. Your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by AutoNation. Hey guys, this is Matt Jones, Drew Franklin from the Fade This Podcast. We got a great episode coming up. Picks in all the sports, football, basketball, we do them all, but here's a preview of this week's episode. Do you think it's more embarrassing to dye your hair or to have hair plugs. I don't think either are embarrassing if you're not trying to conceal it and act like you didn't. Okay. So you think if you just come out and go, I got hair plugs. Yeah. Like check out these hair. Pl- I mean, don't just walk around. Hey, tapping. <laughs> hey, hey, stranger. I don't want you thinking this is natural. You know, but I mean, <laughs> do you, you have to do that with everyone you meet? Some people try to act like they, uh, you know what I mean? Yeah. But I mean, like, like John Cena got it. You know, when John Cena came back to wrestling, he had a bald spot and now he doesn't. Mm-hmm. You think he should be required in all interviews to say, look, by the way, I covered up my bald spot? Yeah, I guess it's weird. I mean, you don't wear a sign or like put a sign in your yard, but. All right, so what about toupees? 
Those are the most obvious. I but let's like. say you're like Bill Self and you can get it to where it looks good. His is magical. I don't even know if his is a toupee. It is. I think he went into the future and had a procedure we haven't even discovered yet. And this episode was brought to you in partnership with DraftKings. To hear more, listen and subscribe to Fade This on iHeartRadio or wherever you listen to podcasts. Segment two on a Tuesday preview edition of the Drive Time Podcast. I kind of feel like Wednesday is a little bit too early to do my previews, but we're already pot committed, and Tuesday feels like it's way too early, even though the game's on Friday. But here we are. Uh, we're sticking with the schedule. We're talking about Dolphins and Jets Friday from the Meadowlands. Three o'clock kickoff on Amazon Prime, and a potential very fun day for Dolphins fans. Let's go ahead and meet the Jets defense, who lines up like this. At the safety position, defending against Tua Tungavailoa, Jordan Whitehead plays every snap for them. They lost their uh, his running mate, Tony Adams, this week, was injured against Buffalo. And so Adrian Amos, a guy they signed in training camp when Chuck Clark, who was signed to start for them, had a season-ending injury. So Amos, more of a nickel safety in his career, will be the starter on Sunday seems like every week we play a team that has a safety who's down, which is nice for a team that has such a good passing offense. And then Ashton Davis, 13% of the snaps as well. At the cornerback position, this is where they are best in their entire football team. Sauce plays 89%. DJ Reed plays 80%. And then Bryce Hall has played 20% also on the edge. Inside, the guys against the Berrioses of the world, Durham Smice of the world, is Michael Carter the second, 63% of the snaps. And Brandon Eccles has played 13%. If you add those up, it equals their entire nickel defense, basically. So there's your two guys that have played pretty much every snap of every game when they're in that nickel package. And then up front, it's pretty good too. Quinton Williams is a, just a beast, 70% of the snaps. John Franklin Myers is also a beast, 59% of the snaps. Quinton Jefferson's played 50%, and then Solomon Thomas has played 36% of the snaps. It's good, it's deep, it's strong, it's aggressive, it's one gap, penetrate, get upfield with your hair on fire. And off the edge, Jermaine Johnson has clicked for them, man. 65% of the snaps off the edge. He's a really good pass rusher. So is Bryce Huff, and Jets fans have been calling for him for years. He finally is getting a chance this year. 38% of the snap count, and he is the team leader in QB pressures. And then Michael Clemens, a guy that I think is also a good player. 33% of the snaps off the edge. At linebacker, going up against our running backs is C.J. Mosley, who does not leave the field every single snap. And then Quincy Williams has really blossomed into a good player for them. So I mentioned the injuries at safeties there. Uh, Michael Carter missed the Buffalo game. He's like, it's a big drop off from him to the rest of their slot cover guys. So if he can't go, that would be a very, very big deal. He was added to their injury report on Friday with a hamstring. So, you know, hamstrings can be tricky. Uh, we didn't know how long Rob Hunt would be out. He's missed now the Chiefs game, the bye week, and the Raider game. So three weeks off for Rob Hunt. It's even if he comes back, like how healthy is he going to be to cover guys that run four two? I'd be curious about that. So Brandon Eccles is his replacement, and then nose tackle Al Woods on that very good front. He is out for the year as well. But outside of that, defense is mostly healthy. Their personnel usage, they run their base defenses twelve percent of the time. Three four is seven percent. Four three is five percent. But they're in nickel. 85% of the time. They almost always stay in that package. And it's because their top three cornerbacks are probably three of their best players in the entire team. I, I would say that Gardner, Reed, and Carter is the number two cornerback trio for me behind Ramsey, X, and Kohu. The scheme is a lot like what you get here, uh, what you got in San Francisco, I should say, when, where Salah cut his teeth as a defensive coordinator there. It's hair on fire, get up field, disrupt that one gap uh, penetration technique that you play. It's tight physical coverage on the perimeter and two tone setting, very fluid off ball linebackers who just 
They play with depth. They play with width. They play downhill. They play fast. They will stay in those two high structures and passing situations, obviously. Every team does. But they want to play in that and will adjust if they have to. And that's why I think it's important that Miami makes them do that, make them get out of their, their you know, they're too high look and force them to bring somebody down to play the run uh, extra hat in the box. I think it's important for this Dolphins offense, not just in this game, but for the rest of the year, to get the perimeter run game going. Make those corners tackle. Sauce doesn't want to tackle. DJ Reed's pretty good at it, but Sauce doesn't want to tackle. Make that one gap rush hesitate. Just one step is all you need. If you do that, you'll have lots of success. And in the game up there last year, and the game down here for that matter, Miami got the ball on the edges effectively in both those games. It allowed Miami to sustain drives while working with your third-string quarterback, right? In, In his first action in the Jets game, and then late in the year when he came back off the bench for Teddy Bridgewater after the Patriots game and that season finale. So I know the game last year, it was 40 to 17. It looked like a blowout, but the Dolphins were kicking a field goal in the fourth quarter to potentially take a lead. We missed it because it was 50 plus. We tend to miss those. Um, But after that, the wheels just fell off, right? And that was after a Tanner Connor drop pass would have put you first and 10 just on the edge of the red zone. Uh, to maybe score a touchdown goal by five points at that point of the game. So that's that's where I think Tua is kind of like your ace, like your pitcher, your stopper on a, in a pitching rotation. Like, we're on a losing streak here. Put, you know, Felix Hernandez in the game. Let's go ahead and get ourselves a W here. Tua makes great decisions. I would like to see him go on a run here against some of these teams we're coming up against of cleaning up that one bad decision per game that he averages, which is honestly about most quarterbacks that are at his peak will have one bad decision per game like that. But strive for perfection, wind up among excellence, right? I think you get the perimeter run game going, you get your horizontal stretch game going, and then that allows these speedy wide receivers to find softer spots and for Tua to turn his back to the defense, get back and and whip his head back around and make those quick decisions with a pass rush that has been held at bay because of the way you've attacked them off the edges there. I'm very, very excited about Waddle and Hill versus Reed and Sauce. I want to win that matchup badly. First time we get that with Tua at the controls, right? And I thought there were some changes, narrow misses in the two contests last year that you hope that Tua being in the lineup changes a little bit, right? It should. The Jets play 68% zone and 30% man, and that's actually a top 10 man rate in the NFL. Everyone plays zone these days, but I think that that zone rate should increase against this Dolphins team. I don't think you want to run man coverage against this team. I think the Jets will want to generate pressure with four and get their backers into those hook, those deep hook and deep curl flat zones and make Miami push the ball to the perimeter. So attacking the edge is not just a run game focal point for me this week. It's a passing game idea too. In fact, some splits that tell that story. Buffalo ran wide off either tackle last week 19 times for 75 yards that will go a long way if you can get that production and then you know if you have one more run that pops like a 50 yard all of a sudden like that changes the entire game right and Raheem Mostert and Devon Achan if he plays both very capable of that Vegas the week before 16 for 57 not crazy it's still better than four yards a pop right is it I don't know math 16 32 for Uh, No, it's just under four yards a pop. But you can see that's where teams have had their success. Both Vegas and Buffalo had less than 30% success rate running the football inside against this very stout interior defense of the Jets. As far as the passing game, O'Connell went 7 for 10 for 92 yards and a touchdown, throwing the ball outside the numbers against this Jets defense. Josh Allen last week was 11 for 15 with 85 yards, and both of his touchdowns came on throwing the ball outside the numbers. I think you can get that with your matchups. Uh, i.e. Waddle and Berrios on those speed outs, if, if Brax can go, of course. Those longer developing over outs, kind of like the one we missed 
for the pick against the Raiders in that game, working off the play pass and those, you know, you kind of stretch the, the roof of the defense, then sneak that over out in there underneath vacated coverage. I love those concepts. We can get them cranking. And if you get your run game going, you can get to those plays. Of course, the comebacks and deep outs to Tyreek. And then, of course, the screen game. The key names to focus on here for the Jets, Bryce Huff will rush the majority of the time against Teron Armstead. He leads the Jets with 48 QB pressures. He's been very, very good. Very explosive player, high motor. But of course, I like T-Set against anybody, so that's a matchup for us to win, I think. John Franklin Myers does a lot of his work off those three, three, four, and five technique positions. A heavy end, heavy handed. Hopefully Rob Hunt is ready to roll. Because as I talked about on the All-22 podcast, guard was an issue on Sunday. I like it when Rob and Austin can deal with, you know, JFM and the rest of the boys they have up there who want to reset the line of scrimmage. Uh, Quinton Williams has 39 pressures. Connor is coming off his best game. But if you go over his career, and this is for most, like, lighter centers in the National Football League, playing against these biggest and best defensive tackles is usually a challenge, especially in pass pro. Like, they're going to get their stats because they are Aaron Donald, because they are Quinn Williams, because they are Jeffrey Simmons. Like, and you know, he's going to have these guys the next four weeks. Now, Quinn Williams next week, DeBron Payne and Jonathan Allen, then Jeffrey Simmons, then Quinn Williams again. So it's going to be a, a run of good D tackles here for Connor Williams, but he's played really well. Best game last week. I thought as a, as a dolphin and uh, it's a key matchup, but of course you have help there with both guards. And then, Quincy Williams and C.J. Mosley are two guys that I think worry me the most in this entire team because they are instinctive players who can wind up in places they're not supposed to be, kind of like Robert Spillane last week, with tremendous speed to all fields, like downhill, sidelines, getting depth. That's why I think it's imperative to get them moving side to side in a mixture passing game from the inside out. Stretch it wide, stretch it vertical or horizontally, space them out, and then hit those you know timing routes over the middle. Raheem is great at doing this, at stretching those guys out with speed, but also having the vision to get certain gaps and catching the football on the perimeter. And then Devon HN, obviously, hopefully we have him for the same reasons. Also, I think we're going to cook Sauce. Sauce is going to be cooking up his own sauce in this game. He's too grabby. Use our motion. Maybe they do a little bit less study this week as they are in effort mode. Like, that's kind of how I think they're going to come out. Get our motion going, test their communication and their will and how much they actually put into game planning this week on a short week and get some clean releases to get explosives and get flags. My prediction here is we see two field-flipping flags against an aggressive Jets secondary. This is the real premier side of the matchup. Good on good here. Jets top 10 in most defensive categories. Dolphins number one in most offensive categories. But the Miami defense has been stifling as of late. How do they keep it rolling against the Jets? Well, that's next. Drive Time Podcast. Your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by AutoNation. Dolphins defense versus Jets offense on a Tuesday preview edition of the Drive Time Podcast. Tim Boyle. Timmy Liam McPoyle McBoyle will be starting the game for the Jets against the Dolphins safety trio or really duo at this point of Holland and Elliott. Their receivers, Garrett Wilson, 92%. Alan Lazard, 81%. They'll go up against Ramsey and Howard. And on the inside, Kohu's going to get Xavier Gibson, who plays 31% of the snaps. And the tight ends, Tyler Conklin and CJ Uzama, 69 and 38% of the snaps, respectively. Their offensive line is going to go like this. Carter Warren is a rookie left tackle, played his first action on Sunday against the Bills. Uh, Lakin Thomason's the left guard. Joe Tipman's the center. The right guard is Chris Glasser. Who? Uh, the right tackle is Max Mitchell. So that's who we have to deal with. The offensive line is akin to how our cornerback position was a year ago. Here's who is out. Makai Becton was finally having a good year, but he's going to miss the game. He moved back to left tackle to replace the injured Dwayne Brown. So 
technically on their third tackle. Their best offensive lineman, Elijah Vera Tecker, is out for the year. His replacement was Wes Schweitzer. He's out for the year. Connor McGovern is also on IR. He was the starting center on opening day and uh, was playing some guard in place of some other injured players to get rookie Joe Tipman into the lineup. Billy Turner, you guys remember him, he was an in-season signing. He missed the last game with an injury, and Austin Deckless was also inactive for the Buffalo game. So, look, a change had to happen at quarterback, right? This offense was, again, historically bad statistically, but the offensive line attrition plays a big part of that. They lined up with a rookie third-round pick, Carter Warren, last week. He should start the game against us here. Um, and then Chris Glasser is a UDFA from 2022 on his fourth team in one and a half years. Tittman, the second-round draft pick. Tomlinson, a big free agent acquisition who has not worked out. And then Max Mitchell was a fourth-round pick last year who has not played that well. You're just not going to develop continuity with that many injuries, and most teams don't even have five quality players in this position group. So to expect them to get any production from guys like 8, 9, and 10 is asking a whole heck of a lot. They're down to backups at just about every position. It's tough to make a living that way. Personnel usage, 11 personnel, one back, one tight end, three receivers is two-thirds of their offense, 66%. They run two tight ends 16% of the time. That's 12 personnel. They go 13 personnel 19% of the time. So that's that might be a little bit more new recently, and I think they might see more of that going into this game with the offensive line issues, maybe some more two-man route combos and max protection. And they also run 21 personnel 6.7% of the time. But that has gone down because it was a lot of Hall and Cook early on, but now Cook doesn't play much because, well, he's cooked. Uh, I think we keep this brief because I don't know what it looks like with Tim Boyle here, man. Like, he's barely played, and there's not enough tape to really see scheme tendencies, especially considering his only action with the Jets was, like, in the, you know, garbage time last week. I covered a lot of the offensive line attrition already and the offense in general. I found this hilarious, though, a quote from Boyle on what he brings to the team. Here's a quote from The Athletic. Decisiveness is a part of my game that I lean on, just trying to get the ball out, not forcing things into coverage. There's a part of the game where taking a sack is better than trying to jam it into coverage and throwing an interception. So I think I bring... I just get the ball out quick. It takes a lot of heat off the offensive line. It gets our playmakers the ball in space. We have some guys that can make some people miss. So, like, even his own assessment of his own game is confusing. Like, do you eat sacks because they're better than picks, which sounds like Zach Wilson, or do you get it out fast and getting the ball out quick without a real run game and no real threat of a vertical game? I think Miami crowds the line of scrimmage and makes life very, very tough on him. It, it has just been a slog for this group for all those reasons. Quarterback play has been atrocious, the worst we've ever seen. The skill group hasn't had anyone step up beyond the star of the group and Garrett Wilson, and he has injuries, and the offensive line injuries have been insurmountable. So they turned to Tim Boyle in hopes of turning these trends around, right? They scored a single touchdown in their last 46 possessions. <laughs> that was a touchdown in a lopsided game in Buffalo on Sunday. It was already 16-0 at that point in the second half. The touchdown was their first on a drive that started in their own territory since week five. Guys, it's week 12, two months. And that was a one-play drive of 72 yards, a run by Brees Hall that went to the house. Since then, they have four drives that scored touchdowns on 66 drives. It was a 72-yard run from Brees Hall, a one-play drive that was an eight-yard touchdown run after a turnover in the Philly game. That, again, was Brees Hall. A 50-yard pass from Zach Wilson, a check down to Brees Hall that he took the rest of the way, and then an 11-play drive in Buffalo for 84 yards and a touchdown. So, spoiler, two of your keys to victory are right there. Tackle Brees Hall and do not give them a short field by turning the football over. Some more final notes and numbers here. Uh, that left tackle I mentioned, the rookie, has a 90 pass block efficiency. That is 
eight points below what you want to be. It's not good. Tomlinson, 95.5. That is three points below where you should be at left guard. Tipman, 98.1. Pretty good. Most centers are above that, but it's pretty good. Uh, Glasser, 96.1. That is two points below where you want to be. And then Max Mitchell, 95.2. That's just all three points below where you want to be. Like, it's bad. Jalen Phillips, Bradley Chubb, Andrew Van... Pick your guy. All these guys have four plus X. They're going to add to that total. I, I... We'll, we'll come back to that. Garrett Wilson is dealing with an elbow injury, but he toughed it out last week, but he had a rough game. And I wonder how much of that had to do with the elbow. Two catches, nine yards, and a lost fumble. He's now lost a fumble each of the last two weeks, and they both occurred after the injury happened. What do you know? We've explained the importance of Brees. Uh, Tyler Conklin's made some plays as well, but for me, there just isn't a bad route to take here because X or Ramsey can lock down Lazard. Kohu can absolutely lock down Gibson, but I wonder if that's where you help since... I love Ramsey on Wilson also, but I think, and just real quick, X, his play style always shuts down a player like, like Alan Lazard. But I think the smartest play is help wherever Wilson goes. Like when he changes sides of the field, just stay where you are, help on that side, and then just dominate all your one-on-ones that you have vastly, vastly superior players at. I think we come out of this game with multiple takeaways. I mentioned I'd come back to the sack production. I think five-plus sacks. I think they shut this offense out. That's my call. What's at stake? Big, big game, man. It's always important to win divisional games, especially on the road. This would give us a 2-1 and one divisional mark in the road this year. We did it in 2021. I sent a tweet out that was wrong and deleted it because I'm a freaking idiot. The last time before that was 2016. It was the last time we won double-digit games and made the playoffs in the same year, so go figure. The playoff leverage scale says similar importance. And even though... ESPN Analytics has Miami right now at 97% to make the playoffs. That's because the expected wins are baked into that, and that includes this game. But going off the great summer sports leverage uh, scale, a win vaults Miami into 90% while a loss keeps them right around 75%. So a pretty big sliding scale or 15%. If Miami holds serve in the division and then wins just one game between Washington, Tennessee, Dallas, and Baltimore, the other four games on the schedule— they win the division. At a 4-3 and three finish where you beat the Jets twice and the Bills, Miami would have a 11-6 record and a 5-1 and one divisional record with a split against the Bills. Buffalo, by virtue of their loss to us, would then have six losses minimum and would be 3-3 three and three in the division, and we win the tiebreaker. But of course, we have bigger sites, so that's kind of relevant right now. The AFC division leaders have the following conference records. This is where my mind is focused more than Buffalo Bills. They're, they're already in the rearview mirror to me. Never look back at those guys. Baltimore's 8-3. and three. KC, Jacksonville, Miami are all 7-3. and three. As far as conference records, Baltimore's 5-3. and three. KC's 5-1, and one, but they own the head-to-head tiebreaker. So this is irrelevant here. You must have a better record than KC. You also can beat Baltimore in Week 18 to get yourself a better record there. But Jacksonville's also 5-2 and two in conference, which means we're going to have to rely on tiebreakers if it comes down to that because we do not play them head-to-head this year. This is also fun but totally irrelevant. If we win the game, we'll own the one seed going into play on Sunday. But a win by KC over Vegas or a win by Baltimore over the Chargers or a win by Jacksonville over Houston – takes that spot right back away. But of course, a loss by any of those teams would bump us up one spot in the AFC seating. Make sense? So big game, got to win these ones down the stretch. Hopefully we run the table. I think we can. But truthfully, if we were to drop one of the games, the best ones would be Washington or Dallas because they're NFC games. Keep winning all the games, but especially the conference games. My keys to victory. We heard them already. Tackle Brees Hall. We spelled it out for you guys. They've scored when he when he gets going for explosive plays. Otherwise, they don't score. He has 380 yards of his 544 
are after initial contact. And he's forced 21 missed tackles. He's forced 12 more on his 31 catches. Get him to the ground, and their offense goes nowhere. Protect the football is number two. Again, to that point, the Jets have done a good job capitalizing on short fields, but long fields means they cannot score touchdowns. Don't make it easy on them. Don't turn the ball over. You're going to win this game. It's that simple. Number three, attack the edges of the Jets' defense. Winning the edge in the running game keeps us ahead of the chains. It neutralizes their pass rush and their heavy flooding of the middle of the football field zones opens up chances outside. Win outside the numbers, win the game. Areas of concern, protect Tua in true drop-back situations. Just keep Tua healthy, we should be okay. Those middle-of-the-field players getting hands-on footballs, also a little bit of a concern there. Areas to exploit, literally every single matchup when they have the football. Then on our offense, aggressiveness of their corners and the perimeter running game and passing game. My prediction, you know, it's funny. I I told myself I wasn't going to dive into the lopsided margin game again, but then I thought to myself, look, look at everything you just said. Like, I don't think the Jets find points in this game. Maybe, maybe a cheap field goal or two on a short field. I am certain they're not finding the paint. So maybe, maybe six points tops. But I am a little concerned about the Miami offense right now. Not because I don't think they can do it, because I think the injuries on the interior line have drastically changed their ability to run the football and protect in true drop back situations. But then also, like, are you going to let one awful prediction sway your confidence? Shooters keep shooting, right? The only two games I woefully missed this year were Buffalo and last week. I got the result right last week, but man, I felt like I was way off having the pulse of this team, that Raiders team. I think a lot of short fields, a lot of possessions, I think multiple takeaways. Dolphins 30, Jets 0. I think we get the outside running game cranking a lot better than last week. I think we hit some explosive plays, some big penalties as well. Have more punts than I'd like, but put together two full-length drives for six. Score once on defense. Score on a short field. Kick a field goal or a safety, something like that. 30 nothing. That's the game. That's the prediction. That's the podcast today. We'll come back tomorrow with the great Ryan Fitzpatrick on the show, breaking down this game. We'll also pick the games and hear from assistant coaches and uh, head into a game on Friday. In the meantime, you all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple, on Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts from. Go ahead and leave us a rating, leave us a review. You can follow me on social at Winkle NFL, the team at Miami Dolphins. Check out the Fish Tank podcast with my guys, Seth and Juice. Check out the YouTube channel for media availabilities and Dolphins today and my Bradley Chubb breakdown. Go check it out. And last but not least, MiamiDolphins.com. Until next time, fins up. Caroline Cameron, Daddy.